Father, thank you for this day. It is a day that you have made. You've desired your children to come together and worship you. You have set a day apart, Lord, for the church to gather. And though we study and worship you individually, Lord, this day we come together as your people to sing in one voice, to put ourselves under the authority and the truth of your word and learn from it and line our lives up with you and your word, Lord. And so we pray, Lord, that It'll hit targets. It'll help us. We'll grow. We'll love you more. We'll repent of sin. We'll, we'll worship you with pure hearts, Lord. We ask that you do all these things by the work of your Spirit through the Word of God. Lord, we thank you for those who have been recovering from illnesses, from falls, from difficulties, Lord, and are returning back to worship. We thank you for the healing that you have given. We pray for others that are still recovering, struggling, and some, Lord, that are, are just finishing out their days, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you love them and you've used them mightily and you even use them now, even through their suffering. Continue to give them strength, Lord. We thank you that many are watching now from home, Lord, or the hospital. Give them strength, Lord. Father, we thank you for the reminder that Bobby gave us of our missions moment and the role that we play with your gospel around the world. You've called us to be a part of that. And so we do pray for the Congo. We pray for Didier and his ministry in these uh, three other pastors, these four churches that are planted over there. Thank you for Paul Anthus and his role in, in helping fund that ministry and oversight to it, Lord. We pray that uh, souls will be continually brought to you, Lord. But Lord, uh, meet these dear brothers and sisters' needs over there, Lord. Cause us to want to know more and to be a part of that, Lord. Thank you for Pastor Didier who has so faithfully proclaimed the word of God over there, Lord. Give them hope in Christ and in your word, Lord. Father, now as we turn to your word today, strengthen us. May we be reminded that you set genders down. It is your design for marriage and men and women and children. And Lord, strengthen us as we look to your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd entitled the sermon, Masculinity That Glorifies God. Many... Uh, Many things led to this. One, I was working on Mark chapter 9, and then somewhere along the week, I realized, hey, it's Father's Day <laughs> this week. You know I, I, you know, I don't forget Mother's Day. I think I'm pretty good at that. Um, I often don't think about Father's Day. So halfway through the week, I'm, I'm working on Mark chapter 9. I can't wait to preach that text. We'll get it next week. Uh, I realized, well, it's Father's Day, and I really wanted to encourage the men in here. Um, and let me just say something. I, I, churches sometimes, and, and maybe we've been guilty of that at times, where moms are great and, hey, they can't do no wrong, and then dads, we kick you pretty hard and let you go home with a donut. Um, that's not what we want to do to here today. <laughs> I, I really want you to go away encouraged, and I want you to be loved by those around you. Um, uh, but at the same time, I want us to understand what's going on in our society and, and, uh, and how the church has a role in combating these false teachings. So, I read several articles and wrote down some thoughts as I got thinking about this masculinity that glorifies God. And really, a couple of these articles really drove that title in some ways. Um, as I read several articles of what's happening to the American male, um, it was clear, just actually watched a few commercials, uh, that men are too dumb to work the dishwasher. Um, they're so immature that their lives only revolve around sports and Doritos. 
And, and this trend isn't new. This has been happening for quite some time. And, and it's working because television and advertising companies portray men as clueless lunkheads and, and they're still gaining money off of this. A little while ago, there was an article written by a guy, guy named Dominic Yutung. Um, he got blasted after he wrote this, but he wrote it in a major paper up in New York, so you can think about that for a minute. He said in response to so many of these things, he said, I am a man, <laughs> and I'm not an idiot. I'm not a draft, nor a bumbling, or childlike, or sweetly stupid. I don't get outwitted by small children or consumer electronics. People don't roll their eyes or smile indulgently at my attempts to function in, function in a normal society. I don't get into scraps or commit unintentional, hilarious faux pas. And I don't always think with my private parts. Quote, I'm reading this. And yet, if you were to form your opinion of the male of the species through the examples presented on TV you'd think I, was a man, I wasn't a man at all. And the exception is that the only exception within the TV is that the men who are psychopaths, time lords, terrorists, and morally absent, um, they get portrayed as the men on TV. But when television wants to portray a modern man, it portrays him as a fool. He went on later in the article to say this. He said, now imagine these adverts with roles reversed. Where a mother is being ridiculed by her husband and ignored by her children. Remember the reversing roles here. Where a nation is being encouraged to laugh at ridiculous, pathetic women. Well, you can't. Because, of course, that would never happen. In an ad or a sitcom, because this would be called sexist. Uh, there's just article after article. So the world is even seeing some of these things, how poorly men are being displayed on the television. Now, there are uh, certainly bad examples of men. Uh, men have failed in many roles. Uh, that's not hard to see or understand. Maybe some of us have had that experience in our life. But that's not what God has created. I read another article that basically, just to save you the quotes and all of it, basically blamed Gracie Burns and June Cleaver of the 50s for these problems. Some of you youth may not get that. They saw that as being slavery, where a woman would care for her husband and her children and do this willingly. And so the results are men are idiots and they are not to be leading their homes. But that's not what the Bible teaches. It, it couldn't be even farther from the truth of what the Bible teaches. See, the world's out of balance, and that's what it does all the time. Whether that's environmental movements or whatever it is, it does not have balance because it does not believe the Word of God. And Christians, we can have, not saying that we always do, but we have the ability through God's word to have a balanced life, a balanced view of everything from marriage to environment. If we will believe God's word versus over the loud talking noise of the news. So God has given us perfect balance in his word. Masculinity glorifies God. 
And men, I want to encourage you today. Masculinity glorifies God. He did this on purpose. He uniquely designed men and women different but equal. Different in that we all have a different role to play to bring him glory, men and women. Equal in that he saves us both, gives us equal standing in his presence for all of eternity. Because he designed us uniquely to bring glory in our different roles. So this morning, men, I want to encourage you to be men, biblical men. And I want to encourage women and children and those who support these men to be grateful for them even with their problems. And believe us, we have them. But I want you to learn to be grateful for them. And praise God for the men that he has put into your lives. Now, our brother John got up here and read a text out of Genesis chapter 2. I want to go back to Genesis 1. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, take them and turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And we'll look at our first point, and that is, men are made in the image of God And they reflect him uniquely. Men are made in the image of God and they reflect him uniquely. Look at verse 27 with me. We'll come back to 26 in just a moment. The Bible says God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him male and female. He created them. Now this is the beauty of gender role. Who would have thought of this? I mean, we're so, we're so uh, uh, made this way that we couldn't think of anything else. And, and yet, and yet isn't the world trying to bring everybody into neutrality? That's the goal. And yet that's not what God says. God says he made us. We'll see in verse 26 in his image. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But he made us in his own image, the image of God. He created them, and he created them male and female. Notice in verse 28, God blessed this. God blessed this creation of male and female. The world hates it. God blessed it. Hmm, isn't that interesting? He tells them to be fruitful and multiply. Have children, not kill them. Have them. This is, this is God's direct words to us. Fill the earth. Oh, wait a minute. There's a whole movement of unfill the earth. But you see, the, the world is co- totally contrary to what the Bible says. We have, must be careful what you listen to over and over. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Oh, well, that sounds like slavery and captivity. God made this world for us. Not the world for us. (laughs) Not the opposite. He made us for the world. And he says to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. That means we manage these things. We don't destroy them. We manage them, take care of them. We use them for our needs. And over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And notice in verse 31, just for the sake of time, drop down there. I love this little phrase here. God saw all that he had made. And behold, it was very good. What a statement. What a statement. The world, the world thinks about this and they go, well, this is bad. Men and their leadership, that's bad. You know, this is bad. And they're all bad. And God says, all these things I've made, I say they are good. In fact, look at that little word in the middle of that sentence there, behold. 
God wants us to behold what he has done and see the good in it. The Hebrew word, like the Greek word, has the meaning to be able to see something. In in a sense, he wants you to pull back all the skepticism, all the lies that are out there, and look at what he he has done and see it as good. And particularly this morning, he wants you to see the role of men. God made men. And he's made them in his image. Look back at verse 26 with me. He is now at the highest point of his creation. Everything he has done is for this last creation that he's going to make. It is the one that will reflect him. Everything else is for his use and for his good. He is now going to make something that would reflect God himself. And so in verse 26, God says, let us, isn't that interesting? (laughs) Triune God at work here, God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit at work Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And then he goes down through this again. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so he says, let us make man in our image. It was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit here who are talking together. And and what's so sweet about the Bible, and we see this often, is God's word lets us in on these holy Trinitarian conversations when no one else is there. (laughs) Don't tell me that's not inspiration. Who was writing this stuff down? God had to tell Moses these things. And so here in verse 26, we're led into this holy Trinitarian conversation of what God wants to do. Now, just as we saw the Trinitarian involvement in verses 1 and 2, where the Spirit's hovering over the water and the God's creating and so forth is going on there, here, now, he is making plans for his highest creation to make man in his image. It's interesting. God's such a fascinating study, isn't he? He's preparing a home for us. A lot of our men in this room are involved with building one way or another. And they're fun to talk to. I really enjoy talking with them. Sometimes I go out to job sites. I'll go visit them. Because I love hearing how they're doing. It's, it's a difficult world um, in a lot of places. But it's interesting. As they get ready, they, there's a lot has to go before they ever drive a nail, right? There's tons of plans that have to be made and architects and designs and all that stuff has to go together to come together to build something for you to live in for a few years. And here, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and they're perfect. These builders in here are good, but they're not perfect. Um, They're perfect, and they're designing our home, and they're designing us. That's intimacy. He cares about the details of what God was going to make. And so this is what he did. He first planned our earthly home, and then he created the first man to occupy it. He created it. I I remember when we moved off our big ranch, and we moved down closer to more into center part of California and I was getting ready to go to seminary and we were planting a new church and, 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 and Gina sent me to look for houses. That's a daunting task, you know, when she's mom and running the home, but uh, eventually I found a home and, and uh, it was on a nice little piece of ground. We could have a few cows there and kind of downsize and move through seminary and so forth and plant a church in that area as well. But I said, Gina, I go, look, hon, you're going to have to have some vision when you come into this house. Right there, she was like, oh, great. <laughs> Where are you taking me? Um, 
I said, well, I got designs. I know what we're going to do with this thing, how we're going to open it up, and it's going to be beautiful in the end. And man, I remember the day I walked her in there, she's like, you, what are you doing to me? <laughs> Dark paneling, no windows, everything closed in, you know. And, and I said, hon, I got a design. I got a design. I know what this will look like. And, and will you trust me? And I, and I think about the Lord in such a greater way than that. The Lord has this greater design. He doesn't, he doesn't need our examples. He doesn't need um, our opinions. He's designing. And he's creating. And he's created this home for us. And now he's about to create man. And he needs no help to do it. Many a truths that I'm going to talk about now apply to both men and women. But I want to think about men as we go down through this. Because man was the most important thing that God would create on earth, he decided to make him in his own image. So God made man his own image so that man would be able to communicate with him, have a relationship with him that was deep and powerful. This was God's design. And in time, man would look at God's highest creation and see God, in a sense, see God, understand him, and understand that we are image bearers. Of God, So this was extremely important. In fact, man looks at God, and I think this is a great fact, when you, whatever, men, whatever you do work-wise, um, is that you reflect God in how you do things. L- listen to this verse. Jesus said this in, the great, in his great Sermon on the Mount, Matthew, 15, five, excuse me, Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So, God demonstrated work. God worked, right? He, he breathed, even in the expression of the scriptures. We, we get the word inspire. It means God breathed. He exhaled. He expired energy and breathed out the word of God. And yes, he, he worked to create man. And that makes us glorify him and we resemble him. And so we are given this charge that whatever we do, and men, let me say this to you, whatever you do, let men look at your work and say, who's the God behind you? And who's the God you reflect? So as God made man, we certainly know that God is spirit. The Bible says, John 4, 24. So how is he to make us in his image? And that's what we want to look at today. A couple of thoughts here underneath one. God created men with brains. I, I want to drive this point home. Because, men, you want to take the easy way out and be the dumb lump of bread that sits on the couch. Um, that's the human fleshly side to go. And that's what society picks on and so forth. But God made men with intelligence. And again, all these principles certainly apply to women as well, but I'm focusing on men. He made you with a mind. And it's amazing because he planned to make you with this mind in this whole design of you. He's given you the ability so you'll know God, so you can think like God and you can reason God. You won't be God, but you'll be able to have a relationship with him. So he gave you a mind. See, the world mocks males. When they mock males in their mindlessness or their brainlessness, they're actually attacking God. Do you catch that? Because we're image bearers of God. And when they attack the human race, when they attack males particularly, in this message here, they're attacking the image bearers of God. Same is true with abortion. You have no care for God's creation. 
No care for life, what God has set there. No care for the image bearer. Though she, this, this he or she is in the womb of a, of a mother, she is breathing and living and she's designed by God and there's no care for her. And so the attack is clearly against God. But here, as we study this, why we're made in the image of God, we, we understand that he made us with a brain. He made us with intelligence so we can communicate with him. And not only just by spoken word, because God does not no longer speak that way to us uh, vocally, the clouds part and so forth, but he's given us the whole word of God. He's given us his counsel, and he's given us intelligence so you can read the Bible and you can say, I know who God is. I know who I am, and I know what he did for me. See, that's God. We're, we're reflecting him. The psalmist said this, your hands have made and fashioned me and have given me understanding. That's what God did for us. He's given us understanding. And wives and, and mothers and children in here, your father has been given understanding by God. And that wisdom that he has is not to be mocked. It's not to be challenged. It's not to be thwarted. Uh, not meaning if if he's in sin, certainly we have to deal with those things, but God has given him those things. And the world mocks him and tries to rob those, but God gave him a mind to learn. Think about the animal world. Um, I've spent a a large part of my life dealing with animals, and, and they're brilliant. I've had horses that were so smart and thought with me, but they're still a horse. They still did not have a mind like a man. And, and they didn't have the ability to, to reason like man has. And God gave us uh, an ability to speak with him and think with him and know him. But the animal world, he gave us strong instincts to do what he had designed them to do. I love when God speaks in Jeremiah chapter 33, 3. He says this, call to me, speaking to us men, call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Many times when I'm counseling with men and they're frustrated or they don't know something, I said, have you asked him? Have you asked him? Have you searched his word and say, God, show me. Show me what you want me to do. Show me how to handle this. God's word is there for us. God speaks to us. He instills wisdom to us through his word by his spirit. And yes, certainly God is unsearchable, um, unfathomable knowledge that he has, but he has revealed truth to us. And folks in here, I would ask you to honor the men in your life for the knowledge God gave them. And just before we leave this point, think about it. The men in your life, whether it's a husband, father, um, uh, whoever it may be, have you honored them lately and said, I'm so grateful for the knowledge God has given you. Thank you. Thank you for using what God has given you. Well, second way he makes us in his image is God creates men with passion. Creates men with passion. Uh, be careful, women. I know you're going, yeah, not mine. <laughs> no, no. All men have passions. They may get displaced, but God give, gave men passions. He's given us what we would call emotions. And, and we may be greatly affected by sin, but God has made us emotional creatures. And there's a reason for that. Because we are given the ability to love in a unique way that no other created uh, beings or, or anything other created can have. Let me, let me tell you this. You can love God. Just think about that statement. 
Have you talked to your horse lately or your dog and asked them if they love God? They just—they don't have that type of relationship, that type of emotion. They sure love you. They may jump up in your lap and eat snacks, but but they don't—they don't have that relationship. Think about this. God has designed you to love Him. Now, now, men, we get caught up in some problems, right? We start loving all kinds of other things. We call them idols. But God has uniquely designed us to love Him. And we become lovers of him because God is that way. God loves, he feels, he's sad at times, the scriptures speak. Um, he experiences joy and happiness. The Bible says, as, as uh, Bobby read from us today, that for love is from God. God is the standard of love. Proverbs 6 says there's things, six things God hates. Seven are abomination to him. So we see emotions come out of him. When we watch Jesus' life, he weeps over the unbelief that people had in him when he's about ready to call Lazarus out of the grave. Well, what's he going to do now? You know, he stinks, he's a mess. What are you going to do? I've done all this and you don't believe. Jesus weeps over that. Matthew 23, he stands and looks across the Kindred Valley. He looks at the nation of Jerusalem. And there's great sorrow in Jesus' heart that this nation has turned from him. So we see this great expression, this passion that God has, and yet he made men this way. This is masculine. This is the way God designed us. That doesn't mean, men, that you, you know, have to go to a movie and cry this week. But you need to be passionate about the things of God. And what we look at in this text, you know what we think was great about God? Is he loves marriage. He loves that woman who sits next to you. He loves those children and grandchildren. He loves the gospel. He loves all those things. There's an emotional, there's an emotional attachment to those things. When, when dealt with outside of sin, they're beautiful. I sat here and watched the closing ceremonies they did for VBS Friday night, and I sat right back there with Norman, and we sat back there and marveled and, and, and worshiped and had great amount of emotion as we watched these children recite scripture and sing songs that were dedicated to the glory of God. It was very emotional. And look, emotions aren't bad. They're just what we do with them, what we, what we let affect those things. When the gospel's preached, I think you should be emotional about it. Because if Jesus doesn't come to this earth and take on the form of humanity and, and have the perfect balance between God and man and be our substitute, we all die and go to hell. I think that's pretty emotional. I'm pretty passionate about that. Have you ever noticed that? Men, what are you passionate about? What eternal things are you passionate about? Wives, what is your husband passionate about? Do you encourage him with those things? He's, a, he's made in the image of God. He has passions, he has emotions to follow God. Think about the love between a man and a woman. How precious is it? We have some newly engaged people in the church. We've had some weddings recently. We've had some 65th anniversaries and all kinds in between that. God created that. That's God's design, and we celebrate those things. And ultimately, they show the beautiful picture between Christ and his church. Third, God created men with drive. And some of you women are going, yeah, I know this one. He gave us drive. In other words, he gave us a will. And a will and a desire to know him, to follow him. As seen in the created order, God's exercised his own will. He said, let us make 
him, man, in our image. He had a creative will. He exercised it, when to do it, what to do, how to do it. He created the world. He created man. And God gave man drive. He gave him a will. And men, and again, this applies to a lot of people, but I'm speaking to men today. Men get a drive. They get up early in the morning. They know they're going to go fight traffic or there's issues that are going on in the job. They know what they're headed to at times. But God has given them drive to care, to protect, to meet the needs of their family. And they keep going. And though it's difficult at times, they, they see that. They, they react to what God has given them. Think about Adam. John read that passage in chapter 2. God breathes life in him. He's, he's nothing. He's just dirt, really, without God. That's what we are. He breathes life into us, makes us new. He did that with Adam. And he stands up. And then as the garden unfolds, and chapter 2 is really um, the explanation of, of chapter 1 of, of day 6 creation, creation there. Um, and he says, look, Adam, I got all these animals I've created. Go name them. I'm going to tell you, that took some drive. And, and though we have lots of dogs now, and there probably was a dog uh, created there with the ability to, to, to be a poodle to a wolf. Uh, um, he had to name that. And God let him do that. God gave him that will in him to look at that and say, that's a hippopotamus. Okay, we'll go with that. I don't know what the language was back then, but that's what he did. And, and so God gave him this drive, and he had to work hard at that. And this is before the fall, and he's working. He's, he's accomplishing the things God told him to do. He put him in a garden, and that garden took work in there. Though there were no weeds and pests and all those things before the fall, there had to be a lot of harvesting because everything was growing perfectly. And so he had drive. He went to work. There's drive in the Christian life. Joshua, in his great speech, his great sermon before he dies in chapter 24, cries out to the nation. He says, choose this day whom you will serve. (laughs) What are you going to do, men of the nation of Israel? And he goes on to say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. See, that's drive. And it's correctly handled. Guys, we'll take our drive sometimes the wrong avenue, won't we? But God says, men, I've given you drive. I've given you will. I've given you testosterone. Go, run after the things of me. Isn't that beautiful? And, 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 and here we have a whole church full of men who are pursuing Christ and loving him and going after him. He also gives us drive to fight things, right? Men are particularly tacked. Uh, things are appealed to our flesh. If you haven't noticed, women don't wear clothes anymore. It's a difficult thing for men sometimes. And, and the whole world is geared towards that. It's all designed, Satan's design is to pull men's eyes off of what God wants them on onto the thing Satan wants them on. And, and it's a trap. And if he gets men, he gets the family, he destroys all the way down, doesn't he? But God says, look, I've given you a will and a desire. The Spirit infuses you and, and holds you and fills you full of truth and through the Word of God. So put on these things and put off those other things. And you know Colossians and Ephesians, how he does this. Put off this old man and put on the new and get rid of anger and malice and envy and, and all those things and put on righteousness and justice and all those beautiful truths that he says. Because God gave you drive. He gave you will, men. To live for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to show you one verse in John chapter 14, verse 21. 
And then we'll quickly hit our last point. John, 20, John 14, 21, turn there with me. I want you to mark this verse in your Bible. I love this verse, particularly as a, a man who knows and loves the Lord Jesus Christ. It is uh, a, a favorite verse of mine. I know I have many, but this would be one of them. Jesus says here in John 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Let me really read that again. I know many of you just caught up there. I want you to think about this, men, as you look at this verse. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. You know, we know God, he, he's not a legalist. <laughs> but he gives us truths so that we know who we love. I think that's wonderful. I, th- I love that God gave me many things in the Bible to keep me in my lane, to keep me from getting off that lane into the worldly things. He set many things in front of me to love my wife, be faithful to her, to train my children, to admonish them in the Lord Jesus, to raise them up. And He's given me many things to do. And in doing those things, it reminds me that he gave me drive and a love for him. And so Jesus himself says, men, Whoever, whoever keeps my commandments, it is he who loves me. He, he's letting you know where the, what's the, how you're able to do this. He says, he who loves me will be loved by my father. Hey, we could probably go around the room here and talk about dads. And there's probably a whole host of people in here that said, man, I didn't have a dad. My dad died. My dad was cruel. My dad left. I mean, there might be all those kind of stories in here. <laughs> but let me tell you this. You got a father who will never leave you. Never forsake you. He'll never be cruel. He'll never deal with you unjustly. He'll love you to the end. And that's eternity. Isn't this a great verse? And then it says, and I will love him. Jesus will love you. And and I'll make myself plain, manifest. I will make myself plain to you. Scriptures. I'll show you who I am. If you love him, walk with him. And ladies, help the men in your life. Help him to love him. Recognize when he does. Say, thank you for taking me to church. I know you were tired today. I know you had a busy week. I know bills are tight. I know things are difficult. Thank you for putting me under the word of God. Thank you for taking us to BFGs or Wednesday nights or small groups and community groups, whatever it may be. Thank him for those things. Thank him that he said, Lord, this is, I, I know you want me to be in church. I know you want me to be with the brethren. Thank him for doing those things. See, that's masculinity. Leading your home. Leading your family to worship. Two, and I'll move quickly through these next couple of thoughts. Men were given masculinity to glorify God. Masculinity is unique to men. It's, it's a unique thing that God has given. And, and it, isn't, it isn't this puff up the chest you know, beat up on smaller guys, that's not masculinity, that's just stupidity, right? That's just sinful arrogancy. But God gave masculinity to men. We, uh, 1 Corinthians, at the end of the text, uh, the end of that first letter, in chapter 16, verse 13, he says, be on alert, stand firm in the faith, and then he says this saying, anybody know what it is? Act like men. Thank you, my wife said that. 
Let me give you the verse. Some of you may need to look it up. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be on alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Now, why does he say that? Why would the Bible say to act like men? Did God design men to hold some kind of certain trait? Why would he tell the church that? Probably because they're not acting like men. <laughs> Probably because they've advocated their role to, to their wives or the women or to whatever else because God has another job for them to do. Now they're not only going to have to do their job, they're also going to have to do men's job and God's not going to get glorified. See how that happens? Happens in homes, happens in parenting, happens in marriages all the time. So God says in his word, act like men. <laughs> He's giving you traits. Be a man of God. And so what a beautiful thing that we can act like men. It's okay to be men. I think today it's bad in society to be a man. <laughs> not in our home. <laughs> and not in the church. Act like men. Love God. Love those who are around you. Care and protect for those who come into your care. Look at 1 Thessalonians. You've got to see this verse too. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'll let you get there because I want you to get your finger on this. By the way, if you're at our church, you probably should bring a Bible. Uh, we love to look into God's word here. Um, and so 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. I'm going to show you some very masculine traits in the scriptures. This is just one of a thousand verses we could go to. But I love this verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. Paul writing to the Thessalonica church, he says this, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. We'll stop there for a minute. One of the, role, one of, one of the roles of masculinity is to bring justice to things. To help set records straight. To help make sure that there's things that are not godless going on, Right? And so Paul tells the church here, and I think particularly this would be a great admonishment towards men, admonish the unruly. Admonish those who say, I don't care what the Bible says, I'm going to do what I want to do. The Bible says to admonish those. Well, what happens is men don't do it. Pretty soon the church doesn't do it. Then there's no church discipline. Then men just do whatever they want. The church begins to, uh, to erode and, and all kinds of problems. The family ha just falls apart. Uh, uh, sons get raised and said, well, I guess there's really nothing really wrong. I'll go do whatever I want to do. Men, part of masculinity is to see things that are not of God and to deal with them. Now, all this, you have to deal with grace, Right? This isn't hammer mentality, come hammer the person. It's done with grace and, uh, and understanding that we ourselves don't deserve our own salvation. But the, one of the rules of masculinity is, hey, there's some things that are not right here. Not according to God's word. I'm, I'm come to help. I'm come to help set this right. And it's done humbly. But notice, more masculinity. Encourage the faint-hearted. I think this is very masculine. I love it when I watch men care for others who are weak. Our foot care ministry down the hall once a month down here is often on Saturday mornings and I'm often here studying. I'll walk down there and there's some of our men running back. Well, there's wonderful women and a lot of people helping it. But our men there, I'm watching, they're on their knees. They're changing dirty water out. They're, they're just, these people are weak. They need a little help. Their feet maybe aren't what they used to be. And, and just, that's just one example. That's masculine. To see somebody in need who's weak, who can't accomplish something, and graciously help them. I remember one day I was in a city that I will not mention. 
and opened a door for a lady, and she got mad at me. <laughs> Can I shut that on you? Uh, uh, <laughs> Help the weak. Men, we teach our children this. Wives, notice when your husband is kind to those who are less unfortunate and, 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 and mark that and encourage them. The Bible says, help the weak. The faint-hearted, these are, these are ones that cannot help themselves. Missions, right? It's all tied into this. Be patient with one another. A masculine trait is a man who's patient. Something we've got to work on, huh, guys? Non-biblical masculinity is impatient, always demanding your own way. Biblical masculinity says, God, I know you have a timing in this. This is very difficult. Help me to trust you and be patient through these things. Notice verse 15. I love this part. See that no one repays another one with evil for evil. Well, that happens all the time. That happens with children, right, in your home. Well, daddy hit me first. So you clock them with a board? (laughs) We raise boys. (laughs) See, masculinity comes in and says, no, son. That's not how we handle things. Let me show you a verse in Peter where Jesus was reviled and did not revile in return, was threatened and did not utter threats, but trusted himself in the one who judges righteously. See, that's masculinity. He's a problem solver. He has a mind. He has a brain. He loves God. He has an emotional, deep, truthful relationship with God, and he desires for these things. He always seeks after that which is good for one another and for all people. Oh, that's masculine. What's the best thing that can happen here? What's the best thing that can happen in this ministry that you're a part of? You're seeking what's good. That's masculinity. And, and, and all of us are attracted to it. Do what's right, and people are attracted to this. And so we see in these texts and many others, biblical masculinity shows a desire to protect It shows care for the weak. It also shows fight against the world and sin. There are are people who aren't aren't broken over sin and and they cause all kinds of problems, but that doesn't invalidate biblical masculinity. We stand and we say, no, this is right. I want just last thought before I move on here. One of the big problems with the abortion issue is men. Not only these women who will kill a child that's unborn in the womb, Um, but men are not taking responsibility for it. And of course, men have been pushed aside because, hey, that's our body, you have nothing to do with that. Men, love the weak. Care for the unborn, care for the elderly, care for those who can't help themselves. That's biblical masculinity. So we stand up and we humbly voice our view, our biblical view. Third, the church will crumble without godly men. I just want to hit on this real quickly. The Bible says, husbands love your wife as Christ loves the church. Everything built in the church resembles biblical, godly, humble masculinity and leadership. Christ led his people. While he was on earth and he leads them today, he is the head of this church and he's the head of the true church around the globe. And we, those of us that God calls into leadership, We are these servant leaders who follow in the steps of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it takes males. And you go, well, Scott, isn't that, you know, know, isn't that unfair? No, it isn't. God gave beautiful roles to men and he gave beautiful roles to women. And the world doesn't like that. But God loves it. 
Because that's the way God designed it. And who are we, who is the clay to say to the potter, what do you need to do with me? It's pretty foolish just to think about that scenario. And so we say, okay, God, he's given roles, biblical roles. One of the things that's tearing the Southern Baptist Church apart right now is this whole rollover, preaching and women and all those things. I don't know if you're watching all that's going on. It's a big, huge problem. And there's those who have said, well, what does the Bible say? Well, times have changed. Hmm. So this isn't right anymore. Oh, my goodness. If that's true, we're in trouble. Because who's going to tell us what to do? Men, lead your families. That's wonderful. That's what we do. That's what helps the church. God, godly men leading their homes makes the church super strong and very available to God. I praise the Lord for you men. We, we pray for you in our elders' meetings. We think of you by name. We're working down through just all our, our alphabet in our elder meetings, working our way down through each and every one of you, praying for you, trying to all understand what you do and who you are and who you're connected to so we can pray for you, that men, that you'll lead your homes because we know if you lead your home, oh my goodness, the strength of the church. What a beautiful thing that church is built on men. I put in my notes, hunt wolves. Not the ones in Yellowstone, although don't tempt me. Um, hunt wolves. One of the things that I've seen in almost my four years being here is there's a group of men around here who, and it includes the elders and some other men, who have very carefully and very graciously protected this church in many circumstances of people, wolves who have come into this church trying to devour you. And most of you have no idea what happened. That's masculinity. They picked up and heard a false doctrine out of somebody's mouth who was trying to perpetuate that into somebody else and then into somebody else, and they picked up on it, and they gently, graciously, kindly cut that off and escorted that wolf somewhere else. That happens all the time here. That's masculinity. It's done gracious and humble. And so, men, I wrote in my notes this, just to remind ourselves, men speak the truth in love. That's what masculinity is about, speaking the truth in love. Stand firm on the word of God. Don't whine, don't compromise, and always be gracious. That's the theme around our house. Don't whine, don't compromise, be gracious. Hold to the word of God. Lastly, Christ motivates our biblical masculinity. I'm going to go down through this real fast and just give you verses, but just some, uh, you know, you go, well, Scott, how do I do this? Well, you follow behind Jesus. And if any of us that God allows us to lead the church, if, if we tell you anything, it's only because by his grace we get in behind him and follow him through things. And so Christ motivates our biblical masculinity. One, men, men follow a greater authority. I think masculinity is, is the fact that we submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what makes biblical masculinity. Men today um, in the poor end of masculinity. Well, I don't submit to anybody. I make my own rules. I go where I go. Mm, yeah, you're going to go somewhere. No, biblical men submit to Jesus. Jesus said this to a bunch of men. He said, follow me. But the man said in Luke chapter 9, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another man comes to him and says, I will follow you, but first let me say farewell to my home. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow, looks back, is fit for the kingdom of God. And that's a mark of masculinity. 
we put our hand on the plow. Lord Jesus, you've saved me. There's no looking back. I follow you. Good times, difficult times. Let's go. You look back, and if anybody's ever farmed, I'll guarantee you, you'll steer off. We go forward. So biblical men submit themselves to a greater authority. B, men are undeterred disciples. Remember when Jesus is speaking with some people and someone comes up to him in Luke 14, Mark chapter 6 as well. Um, hey, your family's outside. And Jesus says, look, I have no family. The people who do my will are my family. That's quite a statement. Remember what they're trying to do. Uh, Jesus is losing it. We need to go get him. They had no idea who he was and what he was doing, right? And what he was after. Biblical men, men that have masculine, biblical masculinity, they're undeterred disciples. They're like the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, I'm following you no matter if nobody else comes with me. And there's some of you in this room, and you've shared your testimony, you've been in with me or in with other pastors, where you had to go it alone. And God has faithfully got you through those things. That's biblical masculinity. Men commit it when all others turn back. John chapter 6, Jesus is with his disciples. He's just preached a sermon about devouring him. Everybody else leaves. He turns to the disciples and said, are you leaving too? And Peter says, Lord, to whom will we go? To whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we believe, here's his direct quote, and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. See, men commit when others turn back. Men, are you committed? Are you committed to following the Lord Jesus Christ? That's masculinity. D, men are unafraid to be alone with God. I love the, how the life of Christ is, is shown throughout the Gospels. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, when the sun rose early that morning, well, excuse me, before the sun rose that morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and he went out into a desolate place to pray. I thought long and hard about this one. I, I think many men are, alone, are afraid to be alone with God because we're not good at repenting. But when you repent, you want to be with him, right? So I think masculinity, biblical masculinity is you are unafraid to be alone with God. You go, God, you know my heart. <laughs> you, know, you know the things that are in me that are not of you. But I also know that you forgave me. And I know you want me to walk with you. And you talk to him. You're, you, you, you're with him. Many, many men that I've known through, down through the years say, man, Scott, is it okay because I'm driving my truck out through wherever and I'm just talking to the Lord? Yeah, talk to him. Be alone with him. Pray. That's biblical masculinity. Um, e, men free uh, the captives through truth. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word and you are my disciples... You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, biblical masculinity are men who are captured through the truth, and they know how to free people. They, they're not confused by what the world says. See, they know the truth, and they know how to say, well, you know, friend, I, I hear what you're saying, but you're wrong. <laughs> Let me tell you what God says. And it's done graciously, but you free people. That's what we do. We free people by preaching the word of truth. And I think that's masculine when men say, here's what the word of God says. F, men love fruit. Well, I, you know, I know you're getting hungry already, but just hang on with me for a minute. John chapter 15, verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Men love fruit. 
See, we love to look at something. Pastor Brian and I were talking about this this morning because we, we like to mow our lawns because we like to mow our lawns. <laughs> you're out there with nobody. You're just riding around. Um, but he said, he said this to me. He goes, it's kind of fun because you look back at your lawn and you feel like you accomplished something. <laughs> I said, yeah, ministry gets long and tough at times, right? There's times we look and we maybe are going through some difficult stretches. We're not seeing maybe what, what we would desire God to do. And, 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 and so at times we feel like, oh, Lord, is there fruit here? But real men love fruit and they'll keep pursuing what brings about fruit. They'll keep feasting and putting their deep roots down into the truth. They'll keep praying. They'll stay in the game because God is worthy of it. And in the end, God will produce fruit. And masculinity is men who say, God, produce fruit in this wretched soul. And I see that in you. We see that in you. And it's something we love. The tree is full and ripe and people come along and they taste Christ from you. That's true masculinity. Gee, men carry out God's mission. We talked about it today. Bobby got up here and gave us a missions moment because Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples of all the nations. And then he said, lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. He's, gonna, he's a part of this. And in the masculinity says, man, there's so much more to money. There's souls out there. How can I be engaged? That's biblical masculinity. Men lead in love. A lot of guys I talk to, they go, well, you know, my wife, you know, she's the romantic one. She you know, does the candles and the dinners and stuff like that. I said, well, hmm, it's actually Christ who wooed us. Men lead in love. Jesus said this, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. That's your masculinity, that you love one another. Today, this morning, walking in the hall, a man in our church came up and looked me straight in the eye and said, I love you, Scott. A man did that in our church. I love you, Scott. That's masculinity. Because the Bible says, Jesus himself says, love one another. When's the last time you told another man you loved him and you're grateful for him? See, that's masculinity. The last one, men finish strong. Men finish strong. That's a masculine trait of us. We're going to run to the tape. God asks us to. He's done everything for us. He's equipped us. He's given us the ability so men run strong. Hebrews chapter 10 says, Let us consider how to stir one another up in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is habit of some, but encouraging one another. Now listen to this. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, and that's what I want to highlight here. <laughs> this isn't a verse about, oh, Scott's talking about get to church. It's talking about finishing. That's what the verse is talking about. Are you going to finish the race? I don't care if you're 8 or 80 in this room. Are you going to finish the race? And so we get together because we want to run the race together. And so men finish strong, and that's a masculine trait of us. Don't let them talk you down about that. Love Christ. Be encouraged. Run after him. Men, love the life God gave you. Don't love somebody else's life. You'll never have that one. Love the life... God gave you. And that means you love the people in that life. You treat them with grace as God has shown you. We honor, honor them, not only these men in our lives, whether it's our dads or other men in our life, we honor them not only because it's Father's Day, because, because that's what the Bible says, to honor your father and mother. Honor them and, 
and, and look for good in them. Forgive them, love them, appreciate them. Wives, go home and tell your husbands. Uh, daughters in here, go to your fathers and say, Dad, I know maybe we haven't had a perfect relationship, but I sure love you and I appreciate you. Thank you for your hard work. Thanks for protecting me. Thanks for putting a roof over my head. Thanks for growing in the Lord. Honor them. This is Father's Day. This is a great day to remember these truths. And finally, in closing, love the God-man Jesus Christ and you can do all this stuff. If you love him and love his word, we can be the father of the year, <laughs> right? Because God is in us. Men, we do love you. You're very special. You're very special to the church and you're very special to Jesus Christ. Act like men. Run after Jesus. Amen? Father, this has been good, Lord. It's a good reminder. Thankful for these guys in this room. Thankful for the wives that sit next to them. For the children that are on their hip even now, Lord. And children down the hall. We're thankful, Lord, that you have done this. We thank for you, Lord, that you created gender roles. You created a specific way for men to bring you glory. And you, you created a specific way for women to bring you glory. Not a lesser role in any way, but you gave men this great role to lead and pride and protect and, and resemble you, Lord, to image bear you and to be like Christ who loves the church, Lord. You gave us this job. This is beautiful, Lord. Thank you. And I pray for our men in here, Lord. Bless them. Give them strength. Cause them to be men who pursue the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I, I pray that we would honor the men in our lives. We would tell other men that we love them. We're grateful for them. And Lord, where there's tension and strife, may we turn to the forgiveness and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we win each other over with a deep love for the gospel. And then may we all run well and finish well. We give you praise for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.